Thank you for joining us for a life-changing message at Mount Hope Church in beautiful Gaylord, Michigan. Our prayer is that this message will strengthen and encourage your walk with Christ. Please enjoy this message. Well, we've had a little bit of church already, haven't we? Amen. Thank you, Father. We go before him with our prayers and supplications, asking him, because that's the only way that we can communicate with God is through our prayer life and our time with him. I encourage you every morning to get up and have that prayer life. We're back. We were here last year. We had, we had a wonderful weekend. Sorry that some of you weren't able to make it, but we did. We had a wonderful weekend, a manifestation of prophecy and signs and wonders. and Miracles. And if you get the little CD or disc or whatever, you can listen to it. But maybe Pastor Norman Barb will share a little bit more because um, we see great things coming into this church. We do, we established something Amen. deep in the spirit realm here. So if you have your Bibles this morning, um, while you're turning, Cheryl's gonna bless you with a few things, but we're gonna start in the book of Malachi, the third chapter, Malachi, the third chapter, verse nine, and... Um, I'm not gonna have um, you stand up and give testimony, but I wanna see hands of people that really felt a shift in their walk with God this weekend that you were here, yeah. I want those who missed it to look around and say, you can have a shift too, but, you, but you're going to have to dig a little deeper because we spoon-fed this weekend, didn't we? We had an amazing Holy Ghost. He just kind of fed us, and we shifted, and there were miracles. How many can say, I got a healing? Healing, 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 healing. So, so God is moving. He, he loves to move. He does not like to be still. He likes to move. And I grabbed some things for you. This is a two-CD instrumental where I'm just playing in the Spirit. If you love to do that when you're, when you're in prayer, that's what Elisha the prophet said, bring me the musician when he wanted to go in quickly and get a word from God. And so I encourage you to always have one of those, figure out what are those tools that help you go in quickly. This is just me playing on the keyboard and it's orchestrated too. Who would like this? Oh, could, would you help me? Thank you. And then I just sang from my brand new CD. I am a worshiper. I sang from it all weekend long. Uh, who would like this one? Would, uh, would you help me, Lisa? Thank you, John. And then I grabbed two books for you. <laughs> Harry has them. Oh, and another CD. This is prophetic. Oh, sorry. Now, if you don't like the, if you don't like that deep flow in the Holy Ghost, then you won't like the CD at all. So I'm just telling you. I'm just kind of warning you. If you want a little upbeat song, this ain't it. Mm -mm. This is like I'm going in and we'll stay in for a while and we'll get bathed in the Holy Ghost. A lot of tongues and interpretation, and so that's what come come up higher. Who would like that? One? Elisa's here helping us. She was she's a product of Pastor Norm's ministry back in children's ministry or children's children's ministry. ministry. So where where'd Pastor Norm go? You did good with this one. He yeah. oh there he is. You did good with this one. She's one of our spiritual daughters. Yeah, she's a doll, isn't she a doll? And there, there's Cheryl's book. I am a worshiper. That's you can bless new. someone with that. Dealing with your identity as a worshiper. That's not about singing. That's about your identity as a worshiper. And every one of us who say we love God should know that our identity is as a worshiper in the throne room of God at all times. And then my book, The Rise of an Orphan Generation. It's well, I'm gonna give it to you right here in the front. Oh, I'll have to watch. We too also far. have John so, and Judy O'Leary with us today and Laura Benjamin. So and Laura Benjamin, they came over from the Mount Hope Church and Lynn LaCourse, where, where's Lynn? Where was Oh, she? over here. They're, they're, and it's beautiful. They've wow. come over. Len, Len's come over. I know he's doing some something for pastor, but it's so nice to have you guys here. The LaCourse is here today. And where's the gentleman that talked about the car, when being on the car lot, who that came up and took so up the funny. offer? Where are you at? But, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about driving through those parking lots looking at cars. It's not a sin. The Bible, there's, there's a word for that in the Bible. The Bible says, and we were in, all in one accord. So he talks about Hondas in the, you know, I mean, so that's uh, it's, uh, <laughs> I can't help it. I am a car guy too. I, my, one of my friends got a brand new Corvette in, 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 in this a few years back and he said to me, he said, you gotta come over and see it. So while we were in Texas, we went over and it's the prettiest black Corvette, black interior and everything. And he, he handed me the keys, he said, drive it. I said, no, 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 no. Driving another man's Corvette's like sleeping with his wife. You just don't, don't do it. Do it. <laughs> I mean, so you women just don't understand don't do that. Just 
Leave the cars alone. <laughs> they have a sacred place in our But garage. you also believe in debt free. So I we, do believe we stand in debt with free. you that God will give you a way to have the car of your dreams and the desire of your heart debt free in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me be politically correct so it's all right in your household. Let the Lord give you the car of your wife's dreams. So, okay. <laughs> I'm not dumb. I'm like, you know, I know who's in charge married. of things in my house. You've been married for 31 years, haven't you? <laughs> you yeah. Just, you just proved it. <laughs> been that, that 31 years. so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah. had a bad thought in my when, mind, and I won't yeah, say Yeah, okay, when you said, till death do us part, you didn't know you were setting a goal, yeah, right? I, okay. just, you know, I won't even go there anymore. We do have marriage books out there, if you'd like some of them. I think Two becoming we need to, one, and don't kill each other. Let God do it. I think we need to reread our own books. Um, Malachi 3, verse 9. Now, th this 9 and 10, this normally is the scripture that... Um, People uh, read, it's the standby scripture for the offering, but of That's course the offering already. has been received. But um, there's so don't get so nervous. So don't get nervous. We're not going to receive an offering, but we want to teach because there's a powerful prophecy in here for us today. Well, they weren't getting nervous. Well, some people do. When you start pulling out Malachi 3.10, people start getting nervous. <laughs> don't be nervous. I don't get nervous. Why would they get nervous? Some people aren't. I already where, said they've received some the Some people are not where you are in giving yet. Okay, but I like the end of it where I get to receive. So there that shouldn't go. make anybody nervous. That's so, right. Verse 9 and 10, it says, You are cursed with a curse because you're robbing me, even this whole nation. Ooh, <clears throat> whoa, whoa, whoa. Even this whole nation. Hello. Is this nation acting like it's under a curse? $21 trillion in debt, $21 trillion in debt. But we give more in aid to countries all over the world, but are we That's doing it for point. our own protection or are we doing it to help people? See, everything about giving is about the motive of the heart. So and, if it was about, about a heart, And about where you plant. If it was about a heart thing, then this nation would not be in debt. But we got to check our motives. So then it goes on, it says, now verse 10, here's your instructions. Bring all the tithes, the whole tenth of your income, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And See, now we think that, well, we give our tithes so that there's food in our own house. Mm -mm. But this is talking about bring the tithes in so there, there are resources in God's house. Right. The my is capitalized here, my house. And prove me now, says it, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Yeah. Now we all have, if we've given our tithes and offerings this morning, we've already, already got the car in gear. We've already engaged something right. by our action. Now we have, have the ability to stand on the fact that he says, now I will. I will. Now, the if in there means if you didn't do it, it, it you can't stand on this. But if you have done it, he says, now, I will, I will open you the windows of heaven. Hmm. Now, I was reading the other day, and, and I quoted, I think, wrong the other day. I think it's in the Aramaic. In the Aramaic, it has a description of a window in heaven. Because now we think about a window as, you know, maybe a window in, in your home and you prop it open or you lift it up. But a window in heaven actually is described by and used in this phrase. It says a tunnel or a or a um, a, a, a shoot a, a directly from heaven to you. Now you think about a tunnel. Now we think about a window, and you know, air goes through a window, water can go through a window. But a tunnel, if you've ever entered a tunnel at one end and gone to the other end, there's no escape in between, is there? There's no spillage, there's no leak, there's no way out. So what God says is when you do this, it is a shoot directly from heaven to you. Amen. Now you, you think about that. Now, now my wife says this, when you ask God for something, you go out in the ocean, you can put a thimble in and take a thimble uh, worth of water out, but he doesn't restrict you that. He says you can back up a tanker truck and take a tanker truck of water out. Now you see, how big's your funnel? 
How you big could, your how big your channel? You how could big your back up a thousand rivers to an ocean, and it would never ever run out. And so we have to change the way we think about who our God is. If you want to understand the majesty of who He is and how much He longs to bless you, we read this scripture uh, over the weekend about how much more if we, know, being evil, being human, being fleshly, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does your heavenly father long to give you the Holy Spirit, all the benefits of the Holy Spirit? So we, we got to change the way we think about our God. He's big. He's so much bigger. He's infinite, which means that his bigness is always bigger than it was the last time you thought about him. He's always getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, infinite in every 360-degree spherical direction. There's never, ever a direction he's not getting bigger. And so we have to change the way we think about him if we want to receive all that God has for us and change your mentality. Now he says, and that, that, that you'll get a blessing where you don't even have room enough to receive it. Now the way that I just got a picture of this was that we've been praying and trying to help a church down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They've got three foot of water in their homes and they're, they're, they're flooded. And, but when I read in the newspaper, it said in, a, in an eight hour period in a hundred mile radius of Baton Rouge, it said 6.9 trillion gallons of water fell on that place. Wow. Now that is where you don't even have room enough to contain it. Now, if God can put 6.9 trillion gallons of water on the earth in an eight-hour span, think how much he has in heaven for you. See, we have to expand the way that we think about our God and how big our God is. See, we sit there and say, okay, God, give me a parking spot. He's more than a parking spot God. And, and even if we tie it to the scriptures, because if you, if you read on, you'll see that the, the tithe of the of God's people directly affects the prosperity and the supernatural realm of the nation. So our nation is in the state it's in because our church folks have not been in covenant with God. But if God's people will get back in covenant with him, it'll change the nation. We're looking for an election to change the nation. It's not going to change the nation. God's people changes the nation. God's people always change the nation. That's all we need is God's people. That changes every nation. Now, flip in your Bibles to Romans 15. Romans 15. I got to tell you, isn't this one craziest election you ever seen in your life? I, you, you I, I never thought we would get to this day. I, I just never thought we'd get to this day. To where we have to choose two people, one or two people, that I probably would never have thought about choosing. Ever. And... And I think about that. They're not who I choose, but I'll tell you who I have chosen. I've chosen God. Amen. And no matter who sits in that office, God still sits on the throne. <clears throat> so we were just in a church that's putting uh, little signs out in all their yards, and it says, elect Jesus. Now, we're from, we're from Southern California. We're driving up to church, I have to tell you. I'm like, who's Jesus? <laughs> he did. He's who's, like, who's Jesus, Jesus running for, I mean, man in town. And I, I felt like a dope because Charles made said, me say it out said, in front of everybody. Jesus. But hey. But what, the, what I love that they were saying was, pray and seek God and he will tell you what to do. Don't get all up in arms about, I don't know enough. He knows everything. And he's talking to you all the time. So just listen, and he'll tell you who to vote on the local level, who to vote on the state level, on the national. You just got to listen to Jesus. But the no Holy matter, no, again, no matter who it is. It doesn't matter. You got to know that God's in control. Yeah. And he supersedes any person who's in office. He supersedes any person who's in control of a country. He supersedes any law that man can make, God will prevail. If my people Just who are called by that. my nation. So don't get into fear. That's right. Because that's where some people are. I, I'm just afraid of what's going to happen. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Seek his face. I'm not afraid. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble yourself, seek his face, and pray, he'll heal the land. It's really quite easy formula. We were traveling. You can um, do it. I can do it. We were traveling a few weeks ago, and, and we got recognized in the airport in the security line. And, and Cheryl had, had gone in, in front of me because I put her bags on before. And, and I'm getting my bags, and the security guard came over, and he says, you know, can you, listen, 
Can you just, I know who you are, can you just tell me, get, listen, the, the world in such bad shape, the nation's in bad shape. He said, can you just give me anything, anything? And I turned around and said, get my bag, and I gave him one word. I said, hope. Now, I didn't have time to preach a sermon to him, but I said, hope. And it's not hope in your government, hope in your finances, hope in your banker. I said, I have hope in the Lord. Because Jesus Christ came as the hope of the world. I said, that's the only thing I can give you, is that we have to have hope in the Lord. So today we're going to cast hope. Ready? Ready to get some hope this morning? Verse 13 out of the 15th chapter of the book of Romans. It says, may the God of your hope so fill you with all joy and peace and believing through the experiences of your faith that by the power of the Holy Spirit, now we taught about the Holy Spirit this whole weekend. We taught about the Holy Spirit. Power so, of the Holy Spirit. That by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you may abound and be overflowing or bubbling over with Say it with me. Hope. 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 So we all wonder and we sit here saying, okay, that's a great scripture, but listen, when do I get mine? Right? I mean, if we've planted our seed in the offering and he told us he's going to open up the windows of heaven, isn't the next question is, when do I get, when do you get that car? Right? When? I mean, you're not getting any younger. When? <laughs> you don't want somebody driving you in that car, you know? When? Driving Miss Daisy over there. So when? And, and when is one of those questions that we don't ask a lot in this realm of the Spirit because God is timeless. He's out of time. He's not subject to time like we think our timeline is. And yet the scripture that you just read in Malachi says three little words that sets God on a time frame for this earth. Bring the whole tithe, the tenth of your income, into the storehouse so that God will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing where you don't even have room enough to receive it. But there's three little words in there in the middle of those two things. He says, and prove me. When? Now. When? Now. When? Now. Well, some of you want it now. The rest of you don't care. Oh, yes, Say we it. do. Say it. Prove don't me. Wait. Now. Okay, when is now? now? No, no, you missed it. It just passed. When is now? now. No, no, Oops, you missed it. Gone. When is now? Now. Listen, as fast as you could get now out, God has already moved on to the next thing in your life That's because he's a right now God. So when you said That's now, he did it, it's done, and he's already moved on. Well, what else is there for you? You see, we think about now, well, now, well, we have a 24-hour, you know, 60-minute. No, no. God says when you spoke it out of your mouth, when you planted your seed, he immediately began to pour you out a blessing. Now, how do you get it? We have to get it from God to us. Well, he's got there now. Now you've got to receive it. We have to think outside of the time frame, the linear timeline that we live on we're stuck in this world and, and for the time being we're stuck in time but but when jesus the scripture said in hebrews about jesus it said jesus the same yesterday today and forever we think that that's a linear timeline that he was there yesterday he's here today and he will be here in the future but that's not what he was saying when it says jesus christ the same yesterday the same today the same forever what he was actually saying was He's in yesterday, today, and forever, all at the same time. So when God says, you say, ask me anything, and you ask, done. Now, the angel we know from the book of Daniel says, from the moment you prayed, it was released from the throne room. But it took me 21 days to fight through the demonic stronghold, the, the, the prince of Persia, that was hanging over where you are. Now, what we have to understand is that that didn't mean that God didn't send the answer. The moment Daniel prayed, God said, done. But there was a shift between a timeless realm and a timed realm that the angel had to fight through the time realm of demonic stronghold. So some of you are thinking God's never going to get it here. It's never going to happen. He's he sent it. It's done. It's over. He's not rescinding it. He says he'll never take back what he's done. So what he's done has been finished even if 
the angel that's bringing it, and somebody saw a vision Friday night of angels dropping out of the ranks and bringing the miracles, and we had so many words and knowledges and miracles, I think it was 14 Friday night, because God already knew that you would ask him to bless you, ask him to heal you, ask him. God knows everything long before you even know you're going to need it. And he sets it up for victory. He set you up to win. He set you up for breakthrough. He set you up for healing. And he had that angel already here with your miracle. All you had to do was believe. Let, let me give you a visual because there's a lot of men here today. Let me give you a visual. Men are good at visual things. My little boy Roman was two years old and, and, and I bought him a baseball glove. And, um, and so I went out in the yard. Mama was gone. And I, instead of getting a little soft ball, I got a baseball. And I said, now, Daddy's going to throw the ball to you. You got the glove. Catch the ball, right? So he's got his little glove on. And I wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. And I threw it right at his face. Well, it hit him right in the lip. To this day, he says, Dad broke my lip. Dad hit me when I was two years old. And I said to him, I said, why didn't you put your glove up there to catch it? He said, you didn't tell me to. I said, well, you should have known to. How would I know? I'm only two years old. You hit me in the lip. And that's the visual we got. God's released it, but you have not gotten yourself into position to receive it. Because you've not been taught how to. You see, most people think that, well, we don't want to bother God with our finances. Are you kidding me? How many, how many get their house payment free? How many get their gas free? They're water free. They're food free. No. God is an all in all God. He wants, he said, beloved of all things, I want you to prosper. So he wants to have all, you to have all your needs met and be in health. Well, that tells me one thing. He's a healing Jesus. He said, even as your soul prospers. He says, as you grow in my word, then all these things are going to come unto you. Roman still is mad at me for hitting him in the lip. He says you caused him to have a scar. He didn't have him a scar. He should have put the dumb glove up. <laughs> I'd have put the glove up. He's half my son. I wouldn't have known to put and That the was glove all up. your son. You didn't, you didn't have a glove. So he says, may the God. So first off, let's take the word may. May is a permissive word. In the, in the, in the Garden of Eden, it says you may freely eat of all things in the garden. Of every tree you may freely eat. God gave Adam and Eve permission to sin because he also set the tree of life and the tree of knowledge side by side in the center of the garden, the Bible says. And then he said, you can eat of all these trees. Now, if you do eat of that tree, then, then you're going to have eternal death. It's going to be bad. You, you don't want to eat of that tree. So, but he did that on purpose because if we never have if you never have dark, how you'll appreciate light? If you never have evil, how can you appreciate good? He said, I want to put you on earth and give you plenty of choices so you can choose what's right for you. And then that, the validation of your choice will bring you into right relationship with me. In other words, God had a universe when everyone was made to love him. He didn't need another universe with people who are made to love him. He wanted a universe made of people who choose to love him. Do you know there are people in this world that don't choose to love God? There are people in this world that don't even acknowledge that there's a God. Could you imagine that? I cannot imagine how you could hold or see a new infant and not think there was a God. I mean, the very creation of an infant, you just sit there and go, how did God know how to do all that? But there are people that sit there and they'll bold face say, oh, there's no God. Well, maybe not in your world, maybe not in your life, but there's a God in my life. But there will come a day when everyone will acknowledge. But the problem is they'll have to be acknowledging that he's God completely separated him for eternity. I want to acknowledge God in his presence, in his face. I want to be looking into those beautiful eyes all the rest of my life, knowing and life here and life eternal. But, and you can make that choice, but you got to choose it. you got to push past your brain logic that says, I can't believe in something I can't see. Yeah, and yet you breathe all the time. He says, may the God of your hope. He, doesn't, he, he identifies himself already. Give God the God of hope. Hope is what you hold on to till your miracle comes. 
It, it's like the it's like the expectation of your faith, the, your hope. I, I I hope I heard a pastor say uh, recently that we treat hope at we we look at it wrong. We think of it wrong. We define it wrong. We we say I hope so, like we're we're making a wish. Well, I wish that was true. I hope so. But that's not true. Hope is a divine word. It's, it's supernatural. Hope sets you up for the victory. It, it begins to spark something. It's like the kindling in your fire. You, you, it, it just begins to help you burn so that you can believe. And without hope, and that's what we have to fight to keep hope. Because if you give up hope on this nation, then there's no kindling to keep us praying and keep us the fire of revival to come here. you got to keep your hope and your expectation high. For what God is doing. So may the God of your hope so fill you with all joy. Say all joy. All joy. What is all joy? All joy. All joy. All joy. It means when times are good or times are bad, you still have joy. Now that's difficult, isn't it? When bad times come, how can I have hope? Well, if you don't have hope and you don't have joy in tough times, the Bible says that the joy of, your Lord, of the Lord is your strength. So when tough times come, you still have to have joy so that you are strengthened when the tough time comes. So if you lose your joy, you're going to lose your strength and you're going to be weak. So you got to keep your joy level up, and that's a choice you make. It, it's something you have to push through. You have to push through the enemy who's trying to take your joy all the time. He's well, trying I had to mess joy when happy. we won the lottery. Oh, I'm not. Well, I had joy when we were blessed with a new car. Oh. Do you have joy when you're in the worst place in your life and everything bad's happening and all things are coming against you and the enemy's put a big old target on you and he's lambasting you because God says, have all joy at all times and then you know who you are. Listen. Anybody can be happy when everything's going good. When, when our six-year-old daughter went to heaven, we didn't stop believing and we still tried to keep a smile on our face through all things. People literally came up and said to us, how you doing? We said, we're doing good. They'd go, oh, they're in denial. <laughs> so if you'd say, how you doing? We're not doing good. They're, they're not, not going to make it. it. <laughs> you just gotta, where do you go from there? You, you just got to fight for your joy. And you can't be moved by what people are thinking or not thinking. And, and, and yeah, what we said, it's, it's easy to be happy when, when you're healthy and, you and your finances aren't in trouble, but you got to stay happy. You all cannot the time. let your surroundings or people dictate to you the joy in your life. One of my favorite proverbs, one of my favorite proverbs is Proverbs 15. It says, You have a continual feast regardless of your circumstances. So in other words, you're going to have circumstances, but you've got to have a happy heart, which causes you to have a continual feast, regardless of what's going on around you. I got a happy heart and happy is choice. You just get up every morning and say, I'm happy about today. You, you tell yourself, you tell your, let your spirit man dictate to your flesh and your soul who you are. Don't let your soul or your flesh dictate who you are. You're a happy woman for Jesus. We had a pastor friend that, yes, that he had this contagious smile all the time on his face. He always smiled, smile, smile, smile. And he had big, white, bright teeth and he was smiling. Well, one night our daughter had taken a turn for the worse and the Lord began to deal with him as he drove through our parking lot in our, our, our neighborhood and he pulled up in front of our house and he parked and he got out. And when the Lord told him to come in, he knocked on our door and I opened the door and he's sitting there going, hi, how you doing? I said, get that smile off your face. We're having a bad day. And he said, okay. He never allowed the situation or the circumstance dictate to him the joy that he had in his life. Now, we get beaten down by other people and other people's opinions. But here the Lord says, all joy. Cast joy. And he says, and peace. And peace. Peace has several definitions. You love the, the one from the Greek and the, and the Aramaic that says, nothing missing nothing broken. Now you think about that. How'd you like to have nothing missing and nothing broken in your life? That anything that's ever been stolen or taken from you is not stolen or taken from you. He said, nothing missing, nothing broken. Now that, that's the one that I like. Our last name is Salem, which means peace. Jerusalem means the city of peace. So how can our daughter be in heaven? Yet we are the, are the poster people of nothing missing, nothing broken. Well, because she's not missing. We know right where she is. 
We didn't lose her. You know, it's not like we misplaced the poor girl. She's in heaven. We know right where she is. Do we like the separation? No. Does it hurt? Sure. You don't, this thing, you know what these things, and I tell people this all the time. I told somebody yesterday. When you're in grief and your loved ones move to heaven, you, people say, when's it going to get better? It never gets better, but you get better at it. And you get really better at it at realizing they're not in the grave, they're not dead, they're not in your past, they're in your future, they're alive, they're well, they're whole. You stop speaking of them like they're past tense. They're not past tense. If anything, you should say they will be because they're in your future. It's their, your future, and you're headed there. And so you're going to be reunited, and you have to hold on to that hope. To know that God is a real God and every promise that he has is yes and amen. And if you can believe God for salvation, then you've got to believe him. Everything else he says has got to be true too. Amen. Now, l- let me give you the perfect example of, uh, of nothing missing, nothing broken in the, in the Bible. And, and, and let me give you the definition of, of how people can stand right before and see hope and see that there's nothing missing, nothing broken, but still doubt. When Jesus, after he was crucified, dead and buried, and he came out of the tomb, and then he came back in his glorified body, he walked through that wall, and he said to them one word, peace be with you. He didn't say peace is coming or peace was with you. He said, I am here. Peace, the Prince of Peace, am with you. And you looked at him, he said, I'm not missing, and I'm not broken. Because he was in his glorified body. But when they say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, Thomas was seeing it and still didn't believe. <laughs> He's looking right at him and still didn't believe. And Jesus had to prove to him. He had to show him his journey. What did he do? He said, put your fingers in the scar, not the wound. He was not wounded anymore. Why did he show him that? He said, look at my journey and you'll see that I am who I say that I am. You know what happens in this world? People watch your journey. It's not your victory that they're looking at. They're looking at your journey. And they can believe in a God while you journey through and you stay happy and you stay victorious as you stay glory, gloriously filled with his presence, even though everything around your life looks like it's falling apart. They're watching your journey. They're looking at your scar. And they're like, hey, if that person can still give glory to God, if that person can still have a smile on their face, that God must be real. It's your journey. It's your walk that tells people who God is, not your victory. Now, if I ask how many of you are going through something right now and you slipped your hands up, we have a lot of people in this room, right? A lot of people going through stuff. Oh, well, I'm going through it. How am I supposed to have joy? Well, go back to where they were rebuilding the temple in the Bible. And it says, and while they were rebuilding the temple. In the book of Zechariah. And this thing had laid uh, a waste for years. But then the word of the Lord came through a prophet and said, it's time to rebuild the temple. And they began to rebuild the temple and they built the foundation of the temple. What did they do? They stopped. Now, this thing wasn't completed. See, no. most of us want to give God the glory and it's we want to have a party and we want to rejoice when we get to the end of the victory. But they said, we are in the middle of rebuilding this temple. It said, and they stopped and they raised their hands and they got their instruments and they began to praise God and thank him right there in the midst of the rebuilding process. So if you're in the business world and you've started a deal and it's not finished yet, make sure the moment you start a deal, you start praising God for the victory. Start thanking God that it's finished. Thank God that you're always going to be in a position of prosperity. You're always going to be in a position of favor, that the favor of God is on your life and they can't help but want to do business with us because we have the glory of God in us and they may not be able to identify the glory, but they can see the glory. They can see the favor of God. They can feel his presence when they don't even know what to call him, but they want to be around you because you got it. Now, you might be in a health situation, and you want to say, well, I'm in the middle of this health problem. I'm in the middle of chemotherapy. I'm in the middle of... Listen, 
Cheryl was diagnosed with colon cancer. We understood the problem. We understood how bad it was, and it was bad. It was not good at all. When, when, when the doctor calls in a, 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 a female a, a specialist, a urologist, a this and a that, and they go into surgery, and he says, look, this thing could be all day, and we started at 6.30 in the morning, and so he takes her in to, to surgery, and then 20 minutes after the surgery, he comes out to me, and you know, when they come out that fast, all of a sudden what crosses your mind is, it's so bad, we're just going to close them up. Isn't that what crosses your mind? But let me tell you, if you, if you believe in God and you say, no matter what. I told you when I went in, I'm not leaving you. My wife, under sedation, could talk. I did. I did. No. Brother, you don't know my wife. She can talk underwater, she can talk in her sleep, and she can talk under sedation. And if she's really got something to say, it goes past 20,000 words a minute with gusts up to 50,000. The woman. She might be a hillbilly and think slow, but she talks fast. Okay. And she did, because I was like, okay, if you're ready to go, Gabrielle's gone to heaven 90 days ago. If you see Jesus or Gabrielle, I'm, I release you. But she gave me a promise. She opened up and she said, I'm not leaving you. And I never spoke it out of my mouth, but we're one. She knew. She perceived. So the doctor comes out and he looks at me and I'm like, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I've come to tell you that... The cancer that we thought was in a very bad position has completely moved. And he said, I've released the urologist, I've released the female doctor, I've released this one. And he said, it's sitting right on top. And it wasn't. And he said, I'm just going to take it out and I'm going to close her up and she's going to be back in the, in the room in 45 minutes. Wow. Now let me tell you. You're giving thanks in the middle of this. Yeah, that was the building. Now, let me tell you foundation. what happened the night before. The night before was really bad because she couldn't hold any food down. Now, we had all the symptoms of this being bad, bad, bad. She was throwing up, throwing up. A man named Kenneth Copeland, I don't know if any of you are familiar with him. Well, we, we happened to be, huh? Oh, <laughs> always you, isn't it? The whole weekend it was you. Me. Roger, deal with her. <laughs> <laughs> my sister do you notice there. when I said that about my wife I was way down here she's an arm yeah I'm like see, yeah, yeah. you gotta think about this okay I'm just so, a guy named Kenneth Copeland flew down to see us and he came to pray for my wife and before we even he, he, we were in the room and he walks in the door and, and, and he knew that she had been diagnosed with cancer he just walks up to her and punches her in the stomach oh yeah and I said she's got colon cancer what are you doing hitting her almost threw him on the ground he hit me so hard and I didn't even feel it that was Holy Ghost now what he was doing was he took action and he said I take authority over this thing now I'm sitting here going that's the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life and I said did that man just hit my wife I didn't understand but you see, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't afraid of the kids. And he took authority. And he was in righteous indignation. He wanted to cast it. that thing out of her. Well, now, when, when they brought her out and they did all the things, and I called him the next day, and I said, maybe it was later that day, I said, let me tell you the story. The doctor said it wasn't where it was. It has moved up. And he said, he said you gave me another 24 hours. I'd have got that if thing clean out of her. 24 hours, wouldn't have surgery. Yep. <clears throat> now his level of faith was higher than mine but even in the midst of the diagnosis he said we're going to get that thing out of her so let's go on give God permission the God of your hope so that he can strengthen you and make sure that there's nothing missing nothing broken in believing through the experiences of your faith now in the ancient Hebrew the word peace means to destroy, 
the stronghold that establishes chaos. So peace is not always, cow gone, take me away. When God says peace, he means there's peace because a demonic stronghold has been destroyed. It'll never exist again because peace has moved in. That, that establishment of a demonic stronghold that might have been in your bloodline or your genetic code, it might have been from your family, it might have been some demonic curse on your family, but it might have been just some genetic code like you have a proponent to heart disease or a proponent to cancer it came from your granddaddy or whatever. But when the peace of God moves in, he literally changes your genetic code. He reestablishes him in the place of a demonic stronghold that was established in your family or your bloodline or, or whatever else. Any kind of demonic stronghold that's been established, peace moves in and destroys the establishment. Hallelujah. And then sets up kingdom reign. Amen. And that's why you can change everything forward in every generation following you, you can change it in your generation so that nothing from your daddy or your granddaddy can get into your kids or your grandkids because you bring in the Prince of Peace, the Sar Shalom, and he literally destroys the stronghold that's been established for generations. Amen. Now that might mess with some of your mind. How does God change the genetic code after you've already been established on the earth? He coded you in the first place. He can reprogram you. He can reprogram you. He designed you. He's the matrix. He did it all. He fixed you. He'll fix you again. Now, here's you've the greatest illustration in the Bible for it. And, 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 and for time, we'll just get through it real quick. Remember the little boy with the fish and loaves in the Bible? Remember Matthew. there were 5,000 plus uh, mamas, women, and children, so there could have been 10,000, 15,000 people there. Matthew chapter 14, if you're looking in your Bible. Now, Jesus had been delivering the word to the people. They've been following him, and all of a sudden, the, the, it, 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 evening is coming on. It's dinner time. They haven't eaten all day. It's dinner time. And they came to Jesus and said, they've been with you all day. They've listened to your teaching, and now it's time to feed them. Well, actually, yeah, and he said, so send them away. Verse 15 says, send the throngs away into the villages. This is the disciples talking to Jesus, to buy food for themselves. Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, uh, Pastor, everybody's <laughs> come here all day. They've had service. Now you've got to take them home and feed them <laughs> till they're full. And you would turn around like Jesus did and say to your staff, oh, no, we're not doing it. You're going to do it. You're going to feed them. You're going to take them all home and feed them. What would your staff do? Same thing that you did. Freak out. <laughs> Freak out. Yeah. That's kind of what the disciples did. They said, we, we, have, we don't have anything but these fish and loaves. I mean, we got nothing. See, they disqualified. They had the fish and loaves in their hand. No way, you're but skipping. They, dis they disqualified Skipping it. the whole thing. First, they said, well, how much money do we have? And back then, if you equate it to now, it'd be 30 to $40. Isn't that always the way that it is? That's in the that everybody has a need, and you only got 30 or 40 bucks in the church offering. Really? But you see, if it's just 30 or $40 without God, it's just 30 or $40. But when you get a God involved in it, 30 or $40 can change thousands of people's lives. Never discount how much you put in the offering because you think it's too small. Because it's just enough for what God needs to change the world. Well, obviously this little boy didn't discount what he had. Somehow or other, this little boy gave the disciples his lunch he uh, he didn't have anything else to give but well, the, he, he didn't gave even them say they did that it just said there's a little boy here with fish and loaves and they said we have we have five loaves and two fish so somewhere along the transpiring of the day this little boy had his lunch and he gave it now here's my question how did they know with 15,000 people that there's a little kid with a lunch <laughs> i mean seriously he made himself known. He brought his gift up somehow or other. Here's your first clue on how to help the church and how God can help you. If you're staying in the Get back, 
you're never going to get noticed. But that little boy said, listen, if I can get up there closer to God, then what I have in my hand will be enough. And God will notice what I have in my hand. And God will bless me. And you have to make yourself available and get closer to God. A lot of people would try to say that, well, my goodness, you know, 15,000 people, only the one little boy brought lunch. I don't believe that. I believe I, we could feed everybody right now lunch from what's in all our girls' purses. Uh, you, there, there, there's probably enough sugar in there and, and enough to get us all high on dessert because that's, we got stuff. But only the little boy gave what he had. So it's not that there wasn't more food there. It was just there was only one willing to give it. See, what we think is this. When I win the lottery, Pastor, I'll help you with the parking lot. Or when, you know, I get that inheritance. No, no. You've got to take what's in your hand. And you give what's in your hand. And then you watch what God does with what's in your hand. And, and it's not because people are stingy. I don't believe the rest no. of the crowd was stingy or fearful. I just think people discount what they have and they start cursing what they have instead of blessing it. Now it says they took all those fish, the fish and loaves, and, and, and Jesus took it and he did. He, he just did a simple thing. They brought it to him and Jesus took it and he talked to it. See, that's where we miss it. We, we're talking to what's in our hand, all right, but we're not blessing it. See, he took what was in his hand, the five loaves and the two fish, and he spoke to it, and his sound wave changed the molecular design of the cells inside the fish and the loaves. He didn't curse it. This is what people do. They get their paycheck, and they go, this will never be enough. They curse the molecular level of it. It could have multiplied, but now it's divided. Because you spoke wrong to it. You spoke the wrong thing to it. Jesus did not do this as God. He did this as man. And if you don't understand why he did it as man, because he was always teaching this generation. It's in the word to teach you and me how to speak to what we have. Don't say you don't have enough. What you have is enough if you'll bless it. He took it and he blessed it. In the moment, his cellular level and the sound wave went inside of it. Five loaves and two fish. We figured this out last night. Now I'm trying to figure about how, about how many. I think it was 40,000 fish and 100,000 loaves. Those five loaves and two fish became. That's what it was, wasn't it? We figured it out if there was 20,000 people there. And there probably were if there was 5,000 men and 5,000 women and two children. We're talking 20,000 people. And, and it didn't just say that. Then there was 12 baskets left over, and everybody was full. Now, how, how, how'd that happen? How'd that happen? A little sack lunch. Sound. Three things. He blessed it. After he blessed it, he started breaking it. And after that, he started giving it away. See, if you want the molecular design of what you have to be enough, you have to do three things. You got to bless it, you got to break it away from you, and you got to give it. And once that starts happening, it's as if you cannot stop the multiplication of it. Everybody take your hands like this. This represents what you have in your home, in your bank account, at your resources, in your wallet, in your purse, and say, Lord, bless it. Now, we take our hands apart like this. Now it's broken. It's separated. Now, Lord, we give this unto you. You release it to God. See, if you keep a seed in your hand, it will never grow. But now you release it to God. Now, guess what? God has taken what you've given him. And what are you expecting? What are you expecting? A harvest. But see, some people say, well, God... I give this to you so you'll pay my car payment. How do you know God doesn't want to pay off your car completely? We limit God with what we think in the natural instead of understanding how big he is. Because here's a little boy and he's got 12 baskets left over. And now we're going to show you how he opened the windows of heaven where he didn't even have room enough to contain it. And it doesn't say it in the Bible, but it has to happen because he's a God of reciprocity. I think he called the little boy up and he said, here, here's 12 baskets. Now, can you imagine 12 hand baskets? It'd be like an Easter basket, right? Isn't that what you think? And he, 12 little hand baskets, six on each arm of the boy. But in those days... A hand basket was not a little Easter basket. A hand basket was big enough that they could put an infant in and float it down the river. 
It is as big as your laundry basket. Now, can you imagine that if it was a hand basket, that little boy could have maybe eaten that night or the next day, but 12 of them, I think he said, you gave me the meal for today and for the next 12 months, there'll be food in your house and it will abound to your account. Prove me now. Now we'll finish up. Jesus gave them an absolute lesson on proving me now. It wasn't a year later. It wasn't a month later. It wasn't a week later. It was right well, then when he blessed it, it became more than enough. He could have said, we got 30 that or $40. Moment. Why don't you go buy some seed? We'll plant it in the ground. We'll grow some wheat. By the time it's grown up, then we'll mm -hmm. take it into town. We'll have them grind it no, down. Not the this people time. go starve to death. Prove me now. No, no. He said, I've never seen the righteous or seed begging bread. It just dawns on me. I think sometimes when we when we want to believe God to this level, we act like we're afraid to, and 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 then we mentally try to say it's as if we're trying to protect God, like trying to give God a chance to have time to do what He needs to do. God is not subject to time. He says, "Prove me now." It's really about how much are you willing to dare to believe Him for right now. Right now. What are you willing to believe him for? You're not protecting his reputation by not believing him. We were, and we've got to, we, we're out of time, but can you give us just a moment? Uh, <clears throat> we were in Dallas airport one day. We flew from California to Dallas and we were supposed to go on to uh, somewhere in Texas, but a big storm came in and it began to shut the airport down. Now we sat there literally from like four o'clock in the afternoon and now it was one o'clock at night. They began to hand cots to everybody to sleep. I said, I'm not sleeping in no cot. I never slept on a cot in my life, and I'm not going to sit on a cot. I said, I'm God's child. We've got places to go, people to see, and things to do. Well, people are they're literally crying. You better get a cot. I'm not getting no cot. I'm not getting no cot. I'm not, I'm not spending the night here. Cheryl and I came to great, and, and these other people, and it's now 2 o'clock in the morning. Aren't you worried you should be? Well, the McDonald's hadn't closed. Seriously. I mean, they always going to make a buck at McDonald's. So I walked up there, and I, I gave them $2, and I got Cheryl and me a little ice cream. These people are looking at their lives. These people are out of their mind. They're sitting over there eating ice cream, happy as can be. And they said, you're going to have to spend the night. I said, no, no. We've got places to go, people to see, lives to change. We're on God's business. And I'm going to tell you, at 3 o'clock in the morning, one airplane came in, and one airplane took off. It was our airplane. Everybody now y'all can sit there and sleep on that nasty old cot. I'm having an ice cream and I'm going on with God's business. And everybody and you know that what? hung with us got blessed. I was just going to say that. Everybody, everybody else was on that airplane. I said, y'all better be thankful that we were on God's business. I'll finish up. It says, how do you do it? In believing. How? Through the experiences of your faith. How many have ever been through something in your life? Through everything that you've gone through in your life has put you in a place to believe God. It says, through your faith. Now, Len was telling me, they saw us on Trinity the other night, and I, I made this statement. My definition of faith is not just saying I have a Kenneth Hagin or a Kenneth Copeland Bible. My definition of faith is when you've been through hell, you still believe. Because faith is an active word. It's not a passive word. You can say you have faith, but until you activate your faith by having gone through something in your life, you really don't know what faith is. As Cheryl said earlier, how do you know peace unless you've been through a war? How do you know uh, being full if you haven't gone through hunger? So through all the hell that you've been through in your life, you've given God, the God of your hope, that he strengthens you to make sure that there's nothing missing or nothing broken because you have been through something in your life. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we thought about that this whole weekend, you cannot go through this journey in this life alone. You've got to have the Holy Spirit inside of you that's active, energizing, sharper than two-edged two -edged sword. That when you don't know how to pray, it's there praying for you. 
that you may abound and be overflowing. My Bible says bubbling over with hope. Bubbling over with hope. Anybody ever got to bubbling over yet in their life? A couple of you. I live with bubbling over. <laughs> she liked that little Alka-Seltzer tab. There's some days I'm just sitting there going, I don't know what color the sky is in your world. Because she's always bubbling over. But I finally experienced bubbling over in my life, and I'll close with this. Our son and our, our daughter went. Our, our daughter went to heaven in 1999, and for 16 years, I would not hold a little girl. It's just too hard. Now, now that's not denial. That's a fact. There's just some things that we try and avoid because it hurts. And <clears throat> our son got married. Long story. They wanted to have children. They found out it was difficult because our daughter-in-law, three months before they got married, had a brain tumor. So let me tell you, we've had some experiences in life. But they wanted to have a baby, and, and the miraculous happened in March um, of last year. She got pregnant, but leading up to that, she had to go in the hospital, have some surgery and things on December 5th, uh, 2014. And uh, how God moves so fast that on December 5th, 2015, one year to the day, we walked in that same hospital where we walked in earlier and it didn't look good. One year to the day, we walked back in that same hospital and at 3.15 in the morning, eight pounds, six ounce, little Mia Gabrielle, our granddaughter was born. Now I hadn't ex understood what bubbling over was until my son placed my granddaughter in my arms and I was bubbling over. Now, I believe he's a right now God, but some of us might take 16 years. But as sure as I'm standing right here, he's faithful. If you don't give up. As sure as the ground is under my feet, I can tell you, he's faithful. If we'd have given up in the middle, we probably would have lost our daughter-in-law. If we'd have given up in the middle, if our son would have given up in the middle, he probably wouldn't have had that little baby. But I'm telling you, the promises of God are yes and amen. If you hold on, you apply your faith, and he'll send from heaven to earth hope. And it was an eight-pound, six-ounce little girl. My life has not been the same. My mama said, you got your smile back. guess what? They're he pregnant again. Grandpa's going to have two of them. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Join hands with somebody today as we close. As Pastor said earlier, there might be someone here who's skeptical. Well, brother or sister, you're looking at a walking, talking miracle. And you're looking at a family that's been through hell and back. But I can tell you right now, our daughter Gabrielle's in heaven. She's not missing, missing. And her little broken body from cancer is not bruised or broken. She's 100% restored. Those of us who are on this side that had to walk someone through the valley of the shadow of darkness. See, on the other side, when they cross over, there is no darkness in heaven. There's only light. We live in the valley of the shadow of darkness. I can tell you right now, we've been restored because the light of God shone upon us. Why? Because we gave him permission to be Lord of our life. Bow your heads this morning. If you've never given God through his son, Jesus Christ, the opportunity to be Lord of your life, today's your day. Maybe you have, but through the experiences of your faith, all hell is broken loose and you have doubted and you've fallen away from God. Today's your day. If you want me to pray for you in the next 30 seconds, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Grab that hand of the person on your left or your right. Because in a few moments, I'm going to invite you into the family of God. And you see, just as families joins hands around the Thanksgiving table or the Christmas table, we're joining hands right around the Father's table right now. 
If you want me to pray for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to have your life totally changed, or if you need to rededicate your life to have your life turn around, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Take the hand of that person and squeeze it right now. Why do I do this? Because the Bible says it's an outward expression of an inward change. You're just telling the person on your left or your right in a few moments. You're going to be a witness to a transformation in my life. You're going to be part of a miracle. Now with no one looking around, no one walking around, take that person's hand and, and for 10 seconds, just take it and slip it up in the ear where I can see it real quick. Their hands going up, their hands going up, their hands going up. Now you may slip them back down. Let me tell you why I do that. Because when I see a group of three or four, I want you to understand, it keeps me out of judgment. That's the first way to lead someone to the Lord. Never judge, because I don't know which one of you. The second thing is the moment that you lifted your hand up, you begin to activate that tunnel from heaven right down to you. You open that window of heaven, that tunnel, and now the Lord is flushing down to you. His saving, healing, delivering power into your life. Now I'm going to ask you to do this as we close this out. I'm going to ask everyone in this house to pray a prayer. Some people call it the prayer of salvation. Some people call it the prayer of dedication. I call it the prayer of Lord, just take me as you are. But if there's one of you here who says, wait a minute, he's not going to drag me down there. Tell everybody what I did last night or last week or the things that I've been doing. And so you've been reserved and hesitant, but you want to be included in this prayer. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to slip your hand up right now. Nine, eight, thank you. Seven, Six, five, four, three, two, thank you, one. Let's all pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father today, today we, declare we declare right now, right now that, you that you are Lord, are Lord of, my life. of my life. I'll never be the same. I'll never be the same. I live in the present. I live in the present. I'm forgiven of my past. I'm forgiven of my past. And I have a guarantee of my future. Through Christ, Jesus, through Christ Jesus, I am now, I am now born, again, born again, denying hell, denying hell. I'm a way to heaven. If you believe that with all your heart and your soul, we seal it with amen and amen. amen. Pastor North. We pray you enjoyed this message. If you would like to partner with Mount Hope Church, you can make your tax-deductible donation online at gaylorchurch.com. From there, just click on Give Online Now. Thanks for listening. We can't wait to be with you again next week.